0: All right, we're back with another episode of the Pennsylvania Woodsman Podcast. I've been getting a hard time here lately. Some people tell me that I don't say my name enough, like I'm supposed to be some kind of identity thing going on here, and nobody knows who I am. There's part of me that's kind of like, I'm all right with that, but I am your host, Mitchell Shirk, and this week our our uh, our guest speaker that we have this week is none other than a very well-known individual here in Pennsylvania who's got a guiding service and that is Steve Shirk. And no there is no relationship or connection there as far as Shirk name uh just a kind of a coincidence there. But you know this week we had Steve on the show and Steve's a great guy. He's a really personable dude and he's a fanatic about whitetails and that's why I think people gravitate to him so much cuz They can relate to him, you know, even though he's a guide and he's out there constantly. um, A lot of the hunting scenarios that he is in and a lot of situations in his scouting is something that a lot of you as a listener and myself included can relate to. And with that, one of the reasons I wanted to have him on was I kind of wanted to chat about him with some of the stuff that I got going on in my hunting situation. You know, as you've picked up, I've talked a lot about private land, talked a lot about making manipulations and habitat changes and food plots and that's what I'm most passionate about but I'm, I'm a true believer that you know broadening your hunting horizons in the species that you care about so much is a great way to make you a better hunter to challenge yourself and you know one of my challenges to myself has been to always put some time in in big woods upstate in Pennsylvania here where uh, where my cabin is you know there's there's some sentimental value to that location for me but it's also just a a very you know prominent challenge that I want to take on and and try to make myself a better hunter and that's kind of what I had Steve in and one of the biggest things I've I've really learned is I'm overwhelmed in a sense by trail cameras and using trail cameras in bigwoods and, you know, there, there's so many podcasts out nowadays that you can really get yourself in a, in a good starting point and listen into stuff. And, you know, I, uh, <clears throat> I've done all that myself, but it, it's still, you know, if it's outside of your comfort zone and you start to put yourself into it, it can get overwhelming quickly. And I find myself doing that all the time, you know, every now and then I'll second guess myself in camera placement, camera strategy, and, um, you know, ultimately the, the, biggest problem for me is is time that essence of time and not having as much as i want to devote to scouting and hunting this area to ultimately be successful and and shoot a good mature buck so uh, that's why i wanted to talk to steve and i just want to get his perspective on some specific trail camera strategies and how to really dissect and break down these areas um, how often to check them and how to use these trail cameras for you know maybe a short-term solution in the beginning of a hunting season to um you know the end and you know looking at it from year one versus you know collecting data with trail cameras and using that data over time to make decisions from the you know in your current hunting situation versus in the past um so sit back i think you're going to really enjoy this episode i know it was exciting for me to hold so I hope you enjoy this all right here with me today we're meeting with steve shirk of shirk's guide service a uh, and not a not an unfamiliar name by any means in the world of <laughs> podcasting isn't that right
1: well, yeah, and it's especially you're the first uh, shirk that I've ever talked to, even though the your name spelled differently. But I kind of get a kick out of that. It's kind of a rare name. Well, I
0: wanted to make sure that when we got this, well, I just wanted to establish this that everybody knows your name, but you know you spell it wrong, right? <laughs> <laughs> I guess you could say uh, that. that's that's the joke that my <laughs> uncle and I have. We follow your uh, we follow your Facebook and Instagram, and that was always our little joke. So I had to make sure that I said that tonight. <laughs>
1: Yeah, actually, I uh, I think it was years ago ours might have been spelled the same as yours or something. My grandpa told me that, I think, but it's all, for some reason, they changed it to E. I think that's what he said. So uh, anyways, I, it, whether it's an E or an I, I could care less. <laughs> oh,
0: I could care less either. That's actually the same thing I heard. I was told it. A lot of it started as an I and changed to an E, and it all came from like one specific area in Lancaster County, and they all kind of branched out from there. I don't know how accurate that is, but anyway, that's uh, pretty cool though. It's a small world, so you got a lot happening right now with uh, with moving in a house. I saw your post the other day that big changes are happening. Yep.
1: Definitely. So I'm just glad I was worried because we had the house built and they started talking like it might have been finished around hunting season and that kind of scared me. (laughs) So I'm glad that uh, it finally came together after the season because between hunting, guiding, family, and moving into a new house and hunting season, that would have been a
0: nightmare. So we're getting really close to shed season uh, with the the move and everything else going on. Have you been able to, to do much shed hunting? I've been out,
1: I should say, like actually shed hunting. Uh, I did get out today, and I got out one day last week, so I guess like two or three times. I'm going to get out probably a couple more times this week, but then uh, I don't know what what your forecast is, but we're either going to get like an inch of ice or possibly like 16 inches of snow later this week on top of... At least 16 inches we've already got, so that's going to put a huge damper on shed hunting if we get all that snow.
0: Wow, I'll say, because that's probably going to take a really long time to amount to anything that's good to walk in.
1: Oh my gosh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I mean, a foot is a pain to go through, but, you know, if there's 30 inches of snow and it's waist deep, that's going to make for a long, hard shed season.
0: there's no doubt about that. So I I know yep. uh, you're you're still running some cameras and you you're, you're kind of using those cameras for um shed hunting purposes, right?
1: Yep, exactly. Um, yep, what I are uh, right now? um I bet you, you know, for if some, you know, for listeners, at least up this way, I know it varies throughout the country, but I bet you it, at least 50% if I was to guess, and this is a little bit early, but I would say about 50% of bucks have either lost antlers entirely or just holding on to one side. Usually I see that more like mid to late February when you start to get between that 50% mark or even a little more than half. So it just seems like it's all been a little bit early this year. Um, I, <laughs> I, it's just the 2021 season overall, I just thought was really strange. Uh, the, the rut w- was really weird. So it's just one more, th- even though it's 2022, it's just one more thing to go, you know, along with this past season. It just just seems like I saw way more bucks shed early this year than I ever have.
0: Okay, that's really interesting. And I would say we we've, we have started yep. to see that same thing. Um You know, I I pull a lot of cameras this time of year. I mean, when I was late season Mm -hmm. flintlock hunting, I pulled a bunch of cameras. I still have a couple to get yet, but you run a lot. And Mm -hmm. I was wondering, do you think that there's a lot of that late season camera intel? Do you think there's a lot of, like, missing puzzle pieces for people when they're pulling cameras out too early?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, number one is you're going to get a jump start on knowing what deer are living in your area, especially, you know, bucks that you that you were wondering if they're still alive and you know sometimes they don't show up as easily in the summer or early fall so you know i mean the main thing is 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 definitely knowing what you're going to have for next season as long as the deer survives the winter and also i mean i've uh i've used some of this intel to help me the next season just just kind of uh marking data points on, you know, when and where you're you're getting pictures of bucks and kind of mapping out their core areas. Um so there at any time of year, you know, uh, it, it might even sound crazy, but even when the antlers are off I'm still running cameras. There's there's always intel and information you can get from trail cameras all year round. So uh I know most people pull them you know, right after hunting season, but you will you will only help yourself leaving them out more than taking
0: them this time of year that's a great point so that's going to really yep. lead me in well to what I wanted to talk to you about this evening and mm-hmm. really i'm I'm a person who does a lot of private land hunting I, I love pr- uh, private land managing landscapes but I have sure. grown up uh, hunting in northern Pennsylvania hunting some big woods big tracts of public land and been fortunate enough to wrap my tag around a couple deer up there but i'd like to kill one with my bow and you know i've really taken it upon myself here recently i i want to take it as a challenge to to do that and i mm-hmm. i wanted to chat with you about looking at trail camera strategies in big woods sections and i'd i'd like to kind of talk about it specifically as if you were breaking down a new area to you mm-hmm. um and i i yeah. I'd, I'd kind of like to look at it in 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 two situations. I'd kind of like to talk about it. Number one, breaking it down and talking about that first year trail camera strategies to try to harvest a mature buck that season versus those yep. long-term strategies and, you know, that historical data that you guys often talk about. Yep. So, yeah. in the first scenario, I want to just talk about, like, I want to just suppose that, like, let's say you find out tomorrow that, the thousands of acres that you've been hunting and guiding on, they're not going to be available this year. And you gotta start sure you gotta start scratch <laughs> from scratch. So <laughs> I know there's gonna be a lot of boot leather because there's no doubt you spend a lot of time in the woods and there's gonna be a lot of scouting, but I mean, kind of just start me off like where are you going to begin in regards to trail cameras?
1: Yep. Well, I mean, here's the thing though, and I know we want to jump right on the trail cameras but see that's where the a lot of my whenever i'm gonna consider hunting a new area those thoughts are generally on my mind right now and then this time of year before i even think about trail cameras i go into areas learning them extremely well extremely thorough um i want to know okay what are the type of food trees in the area what are the covers uh what's what's the topography like even when you uh look on maps you still have to go in you know and get an idea of what some of these features really look like so you i that's what I'm you know what I would do first is go in put the boots on the ground learn it very thoroughly and then I would know ahead of time where I'm going to put the cameras like uh I would I mix it up I would have You know, some around the food sources. I would have some around bedding areas, um, access trails. You you know, you're also going to find, you know, scrapes and scrape lines and rub lines this time of year. So all of that is being done now to uh, further predict um, where I'm going to place cameras and stands possibly the next
0: season. Absolutely, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it that way. And, uh, mm-hmm. so when you go out and you're dissecting that, you know, I think it's, for me, it, there's a lot of easy things I can do as far as creating bottlenecks. There's a lot of things mm-hmm. I can do with creating food and such. Um, when you talk about big woods, I think about some of the pieces of, that I would hunt upstate, a <clears throat> uh, lot of large, um, I think the, the main track that I hunt is a 60,000 acre track, which is probably comparable yeah, a to lot. some of those. Um, a lot yeah. of monotonous, the same type of timber. You know, we're looking at a lot of the same beech, birch, and maples kind of mixed in with cherry. There's not a lot of oak. So, I mean, there's okay. some changes in in forest type, but there's not a ton. But then the that, that same thing yep. you talked about as far as ridges and elevation. So, uh, And the other thing we have, too, is, is a lot of chop-offs, and I know you kind of relate to those as well. Sure. So, yep. I, I mean, could um, we maybe just ahead. break down... A couple of different scenarios, like we just talked about. Like, we got swamps, we've got ridges, we got forest types. Like, maybe what specifically attracts you to certain parts of those when you're scouting?
1: Well, I'm not one of those people that's always like, I only hunt certain kinds of habitat or certain kinds of terrain features. Like,. <laughs> things are always constantly changing here you know even you know because it's public land you you might have an area where there's two or three good bucks they get shot then you got to move on you can't always count on the same areas so you know I got to have a lot of options and be able to stay versatile so you know if I was counting on the same area I'd be counting on you know the same food sources the same habitat regrowth and you know all that kind of stuff so I really don't focus on particular areas and particular types of habitat, but i I like to just kind of square out an area maybe like a square mile and once again just really get to learn it thoroughly um and you know the things that i that I'm looking for, like like how you brought up that where you hunt there's really not a lot of oak. well, that's not really that big of a deal to me. I have a lot of areas like that um A thing that you know some people don't understand is that deer are primarily browsers they do not need mast or acorns or anything like that to survive um i've even seen areas that just seem like the worst deer habitat but yet there's still deer there surviving Mm. but i will say though you know if you're looking for a mature buck within that area somewhere he is still going to be at the best food sources the best bedding areas Like wherever the best browse is, that's probably where he's going to be feeding. Wherever the best cover and visual advantages for his bedding, that's where he's going to be. So you want to, you want to seek out those prime spots within an area. Um, and that's kind of, it's kind of like, you know, my starting point, I would say.
0: That's great. So. I'll give you a scenario here. There's there's an area that I'm thinking in particular. Um, the the access for hunters and traveling is on the, on, on the top of the mountain. And yep. along this access road, there's a lot of different chop-offs. And some of these chop-offs, you know, they'll range anywhere from two years of age to ten years of age. Some of them have fences around them and some of them don't. And, you know, it's pretty easy access inside of those chop off just because they're close to the road and then you don't mm-hmm. have to go too much further until you start to get into large hollows and ridge systems and points and then where it will drop into very open side hills with no no cover other than you know that beach birch maple forest and then it drops into creek bottoms yep. so okay you know one of the questions i have when you're you're scouting you're setting cameras is number one do you kind of st- set cameras up and scout obviously you're scouting everything but are you setting cameras up in a situation for covering as much as possible or do you kind of have you kind of learned to cheat some areas based on what you see buck doing in, in the areas you're hunting
1: yep i think i do cheat in a lot of places once again just based on you know the the prior scouting and you know, one thing you got to keep in mind is, is the hunting pressure. Um Sometimes you'll find like some really good habitat, maybe some really good clear cuts, but just there's certain things like that, that seem to draw a lot of hunters in. And uh you'll kind of, you know, you'll, you'll remember that, you know, from one year to the next, like, uh you know, this past season, I saw more hunting pressure around clear cuts than ever. And as much as I love clear cuts, like, you know, some areas I hunted might have had one, two, or three cuts at the most, but they were getting hunting pressure and the bucks were pushed out. So uh just those are the kind of things that you got to keep in mind. So, you know, going into next season, I'm not even going to be putting cameras around those cuts and some, and the bucks were, even though, uh, you know, some people would be surprised, but there might've been just a good patch of like beach brush on a ridge that, that's where i was finding them so um i think you you know when you talked about where you're finding some of these you know access roads and it sounded like a lot of the cover was near the roads well if you have if you have a lot of hunting pressure in there i would definitely consider spreading cameras out further away from those access roads because there's a good chance uh that you know you said that beech and maple cover that might be actually the bedding cover um, but you're gonna wanna go in there, you know, this time of year, early spring, you know, find you know, find the buck sign, find the scrapes, trails, all that kind of stuff, and once again use your your postseason scouting on, you know, where to place those cameras.
0: I think one thing I've really done, Steve, is I've put myself in a lot of headlocks because I, I I've listened to a lot of you know, very well respected individuals for hunting pressured deer in in these in you know Pennsylvania and other states and you know one thing I've I started to realize in my hunting upstate in that part of the of you know Lycoming counties where I'm at actually um okay. I see a lot of deer that are not afraid to move in those big open hardwoods and I I really have found myself cheating to security cover and while security cover's great it, it doesn't seem as though there's any rhyme or reason on the surface to some of those movements, but I think it has a lot to do with the terrain and the way that it's relating to those chop offs. I mean, do you see your mm-hmm. betting in relation to those chop offs and using them at night? It just
1: I mean, if it's like a younger clear cut full of you know good browse at a height that the deer can reach then a lot of times definitely even you know that might be where all the hunting pressure is and you'll see tons of deer and buck sign but you're not seeing deer well that's what's going on is they're just using it as a food source and they're bedding across the valley or it's hard to say exactly where unless you're in there you know scouting figuring things out but I see that a lot um if it's uh, if it's getting you know a lot of human access and hunting pressure, you know the sign will be there. But it, a lot of it's just made at night. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. Yep. So now the uh, when you start getting into you, you've picked out areas based on your scouting, um, all these different features, whether it's ridges and elevations or relating to a chop off or something like that. How often? How many cameras specifically? do you like to pollute an area with? I mean, do you try to spread out pretty well? I, I know I've heard you talk about clustering cameras, and what situations do you yep. like to cluster cameras?
1: I mean, if if I was going to, which I, I do a lot, but if I was going to cluster cameras in an area, I mean, usually it's probably a minimum of like 6 or 8, probably on average more like 10 or 12. And generally uh, what I do is most of my camera clustering is is related to bedding areas um i will have like i might have one or two cameras at particular stand sites fairly close to the bedding area but those ones i rarely check but then i might have three or four further back that i'm where i feel i'm not intruding as much and then i might have there might be you know a stand of oaks in the area that that I feel that the you know the bucks or a particular buck is feeding on that would be one that I would not even be afraid to check like almost every day just because I pretty much know he's only gonna come in there at night. I might find like a community scrape you know further back uh rub line things like that, but that's kind of like a cluster scenario um the ones around the stand sites and closer to bedding you know, I, I rarely check. But the ones further back I check more often and the reason why I'm being somewhat aggressive and checking them is I'm still trying to monitor what deer are still using that area because you know things can change a lot in the big woods and you can be wasting your time sometimes so those cameras are just those eyes in the woods you know 24 7 and that's kind of telling me what's still
0: around that's where a lot of time in the woods really helps you for sure absolutely absolutely get my train of thought here make sure i'm back here so you're not using really cell cameras in any situations or very rarely where you're at right
1: I mean, I, I'm what I have out this year, probably about seven or eight. The problem is, I mean, not everywhere, but it's you just can't rely on them because, you know, there's so limited cell reception that it's just, you know, I don't, I'd probably be wasting my time if I ran 20, 30, even 40 uh, cell cameras versus, you know, I ran. Like 150 regular cameras this past season. So, just I would love to use cell cameras more, but you know, it's just all based on not being able to use them effectively due to lack of cell signal. But I I do think they're a great tool. I know that it seems like there's a little bit, you know, out there right now that a lot of people are starting to have second thoughts about them, and some states are even, you know, banning them. that's only my opinion i i i don't find anything wrong with it um just it's just i'm always more about finding ways to encourage hunters and you know there's a lot of people that um that they they don't have time to check their cameras they're working like crazy and if it wasn't for that cell camera sending them pictures every day they probably wouldn't even consider going hunting those one two three days a year that that they got to get out so I think they, you know, it, they they do a lot more good than harm. And uh, once again, I think they're a great tool just because you don't also have to intrude certain areas to check them. But, you know, where I come from, they're just limited use due to lack of signal. Right.
0: And you said about uh, the intrusion. I want to just kind of back up mm-hmm. and go back to that. You had talked about your clustering of cameras and how you're accessing this. So do you look at the, your your cameras as far as um, the areas that you're not going to intrude, you're not going to bump them out of his secure bedding location. That's kind of where you're monitoring what's in that area. Now, the stuff on the yep. interior, is that where you see those cameras as being valuable for that future information? Or how are you viewing those cameras if you're not able to check them as often?
1: Um, I mean, the only reason why why I really have them there is it just kind of uh – Pretty much any stand site, I always have a camera or two. It's just added assurance that, okay, you know, they definitely, he definitely is using this particular spot. Um, but those, like I said, those are the ones when I'm clustering, I rarely check because I'm counting on those cameras, you know, further back. And I, I truly believe that, that you can mess with a, with a buck's mind because he's noticing he, I mean, your you, your human scent is on the ground for close to 24 hours, at least, I would say, in good conditions. So, you know, when he comes out of his bedding area and he, he has a certain range where he's not getting human scent, but he's getting that scent, you know, further back, that's where I think you can kind of fool him that he's going to think that it's safe around your stand sites because you're rarely ever there checking those cameras, but... Say like if you were hunting a trail coming out of the bedding area, well, you could put like two, three, four cameras all on one trail, have your stand close to the bedding area, rarely check that camera, but check the cameras, you know, three, 400 yards back or maybe not even quite as far. And you have that stretch that that buck's remembering. Okay, right about dark, I know I can sneak through there or right before dark, I'm this, this stretch of ground here never gets human intrusion. And and that's where I think that that strategy is effective.
0: That makes a lot of sense now.
1: Yep. That's, that's one of the biggest keys for clustering cameras. And also, um, you'd be surprised, like, you know, say, especially sometimes when I have 15 or 20 cameras in an area, there's been times when I'll only get a deer. This is literally almost the whole season, I may only get that buck on five or six of those cameras, you know, uh, and there's 15 of them in in that certain range that he never showed up on, and that's also teaching me his routes, and, you know, people think that they just wander almost aimlessly, you know, within their core area. Well, they have specific routes that they use, and by clustering cameras, you're able to learn those specific routes.
0: And I think that's probably depending on the area you're talking about, you're probably comparing two like more transient mobile deer you're not in the heart of their heart of their mm-hmm. their home range versus a home body that you're tuned into and yep. you, you've talked about that in many situations. Um you know, along the lines of like a homebody and such, do you find that in the big woods that they will consistently use the same bed and the same bedding location throughout same times, you know, certain times of the year, or is it? Oh,
1: absolutely, absolutely. Not, not, not. Hopefully, I didn't get answer the question too fast, no, no. but uh, no, absolutely. I mean, I've even found some bucks that may have only had like three or four beds in a clear cut, and that's about all that you know he would use those same three or four. Um, it's, it's not generally uh, for the whole season, though. Like. You'll find, uh, you know, a buck using a bedding area maybe from like mid-September to mid-October. And then there is what I call like the rut shift where he will shift from that area and bed, you know, closer to does. A lot of times that bedding is more sporadic because, you know, he's getting anxious and somewhat impatient, so he might bed near one doe group for a few days or maybe less and then he'll bounce to another um so you know there's certain times of the year when bedding is really consistent and not i would also say right now like even though in most states it's not hunting season but you know even for the past month month and a half uh bedding can also be really consistent because bucks are more in that recovery mode where uh You know, they're just trying to build on a lot of the fat reserves they lost in the rut. And uh, so he's spending a lot of time in one particular bedding area as long as, you know, he's got a good food source somewhat near him and then there's not a lot of hunting pressure. So bedding can definitely be consistent when everything matches up right.
0: Right. So with the amount of cameras you're running, over 150 this year, um, you know, you've got to have some kind of method to your madness when it comes to picture management, and data management. You've talked about that and other stuff, but can you just shed light a little bit on what you found works well for you when it comes to narrowing in specific deer or using that information for hunting?
1: Yep. Um, well, <laughs> a lot of it just notes and even somewhat my own memory over the past. Uh, now, um, you know, because I use the Spartan Forge app, mm-hmm. if you've ever heard of that, um you they have like a journal on the app that you can uh you can go in and, it, and it'll help you like assist you with like weather conditions uh when you get a certain picture of a buck you can just punch it in on the map and it can it can date like you know the weather conditions and a bunch of different factors that I think is really interesting um because you may you may have some deer that or you know, really only active during certain type of weather, uh, certain times of year, and you can go back and, you know, like, say this whole past year, you know, I journal a lot of different bucks and a lot of activity. Well, next year, I can look back and be like, wow, you know, we got some, some of the same conditions at the same time of year. Uh, there's a good chance that that buck will kind of be doing some of the same things in the same area. So... Uh, I do think, you know, uh, that that Spartan Forge app is a really cool feature that, that would help with what you're, you know, asking me. That
0: makes sense. How long have you been running that?
1: This was my first year ever using it. So, I mean, I'm a little bit rusty as far as, you know, using using just that app. But I can tell you that um, just based on my old ways, rather, you know, just noting things and just and my own memory that, You'd be surprised like certain deer you know would show up in certain areas certain times of the year, and especially someone you know definitely not bragging but when you're when you have so many big deer on camera like you do forget stuff well when you're able to write it down and uh then go back a year later and look back like you'd be surprised like holy cow look at uh look at how much uh that I already forgotten and just how valuable that information is um and using it once again for the following season. So, you know, this obviously, like I said, this will be my first year using the app, which is going to really, really help. But I can tell you that there's major consistencies, you know, that I found just like, I'm not saying the exact day, but especially, uh, you know, you know, when certain shifts generally happen, it seems like a lot of bucks shift about the same time of year every year and into the same certain areas.
0: There's no doubt about that. There's no doubt about yeah. that. The uh, the trail camera strategy and the hunting strategy, I don't think it ever ends. Um, you know, there's, <laughs> No. I, I think when it comes to my own sense and when it comes to people listening to this podcast or any podcast here, Always looking for what one up, that what advantage. But there's no doubt about it that the amount of time you spend in has a lot to do with the success and learning. Um,
1: oh, absolutely! Um, and that's you know, I I I love to hunt. Um, the harvest is, is is great, but I swear, just I'm I'm more of a learner and just a sponge into you know into the whole whitetail thing. Like they're just so fascinating to me. Uh, I can just literally just uh, like, you know, right now in my new house, like last night, I was just sitting in front of the window right before dark, just watching deer. And even though it was just a, a group of does, but just watching their body language and how they did things like the learning part is what I'm truly, uh, truly, you know, after. And that's really my passion overall and i think a lot of really serious whitetail hunters are more
0: learners than anything else yeah i think you hit the nail on the head there so one question i had is a little bit off topic but i think it's worth bringing up How was the beech nut crop in your area this year um
1: surprisingly uh that's a that's a really good thing you brought up we had uh I don't know how many years ago, quite a long time ago, we had like a really bad blight,
0: sure.
1: and um, it affected our our beach trees drastically. And overall, you know, like the past fifteen years, I can probably count on one hand how many good beach trees I've found. But for some reason, this year, I don't, you know, because I heard that this blight would, you know, would affect the trees basically forever but this year i saw more beech nuts good beech nuts than i have in literally 15 20 years i'm not saying it was like you know a bumper crop but i found areas like you know whole beech ridges they're full of beech and they were full of good beech nuts so um that was something that i did kind of keep secret because we had a, a major, major uh, hit with our oak trees this year. I don't know if you heard, but, um, yeah, they got hit by those gypsy moths, and so we didn't have any acorns. So it was nice to be able to have some kind of mast uh, to, you know, and the beech nuts are pretty hardy even going later into the fall. They're not like, you know, an apple or you know, a cherry or something like that that you can't really count on too far into hunting season. But even before we got this real deep snow, I still found areas where the deer were pounding beech nuts. So, I mean, I wouldn't call it a great year, but great considered to what I've seen in a long time.
0: Yeah, that's kind of mimics what we saw. I mean, even into the last weekend of our flintlock season, there was a couple of south-facing slopes that still had some remnants of beech nuts and deer digging for them. Um, with beech nuts the yep. one thing I noticed was just an overabundance of bear in my area compared to normal, which led to some major trail camera problems there. Uh do you <laughs> Oh god, yeah. How often do you have yeah, that problem and, and do you have any ways of combating that?
1: You know, um I have that problem every year. This year was the least ever because we didn't have any acorns, at least that's my opinion. I saw less bears this year than I have in many many years but i think that you know they mainly come to our area just for the acorns Mm -hmm. um but you know generally they're a pretty big problem that's another reason why you know i don't run a ton of real expensive cameras i've even had cameras in security boxes and the bears can literally you know reach their claws in there and still do some damage so they're really i don't really know if there's a true way to eliminate you know, I I guess you, there's probably some extra secure box out there that you can, you can buy. But then again, that gets to be just as much of an expense or a hassle, but I've really just kind of dealt with them. Um, what I have found is if your, if your camera gets hit once and and it survived, you're still better off probably moving it because it seems like bears are creatures of habit. They will, uh, They tend to come back a lot. I've learned, you know, that lesson the hard way. So if I, if I get a camera that survived a bear attack, then, you know, I'll move it. I mean, I've put cameras six, seven feet up into trees and the bears climbed up and got them. So I don't even want to say for sure that elevating your cameras helps. But, you know, the best advice I can give is to watch. And if as soon as you're having problems, even if it's a good spot, unfortunately,
0: I'll usually move away. I've experienced that all too often. Uh, Many times I've I've, uh, found that the camera was ripped off the tree and I'll find it 30 yards down the trail from there.
1: Yep. Yep. No, they, uh, I, I mean, I know I'm not, I'm not a bear hunter and I'm certainly not against hunting them, but uh, I wish we had less bears to be honest with you. I know a lot of people probably wouldn't like me saying that, but to me, they're just more of a nuisance. You know, I've, lived in the woods you know my whole life or near the woods and uh they get in your garbage they damage things on your property i i just don't see what good bears really are and uh if if there was quite a few less of them it wouldn't bother me a bit
0: (laughs) i do enjoy seeing them i do enjoy seeing them but it's like everything it's a resource we got to manage appropriately and you know, a, Absolutely. You know there's a lot of bear or too many or more than you want to deal with you know i think one of the things i hear often in big woods is um that there's not enough deer so last question i'll leave you hmm. with just in your passing this past year how do you feel that the deer herd is in your specific area as far as your your level of comfort and the amount you see you see
1: um you know it all depends on the hunter and and you know if you're comparing it to 30, 40, 50 years ago, um, even though I'm not, I'm only, you know, 35, but just going based on, you know, what some of my friends and family have told me what they used to see, um, there's nowhere near the amount of deer there was then. But in my opinion, I think there were too many deer back then. Um, I am, I am fine with the deer herd. Um, I do think that, though, I think we could. We could have a few more and I don't really think in my opinion it would be a huge factor to the herd health or the forest health. Um, I don't really know. I, I don't know of a like exact number as far as how many deer per square no, mile. I would, not. I would guess there's 15 to 20, but that's just kind of a wild guess, but I, I'm happy with the numbers we have. Uh, truthfully though, like, I'm not the kind of hunter that needs to be seeing deer all the time. Like, I'm a buck hunter, uh, you know, pretty much, you know, know, I'm a mature buck hunter. So if there's one or two good bucks in the area, that's really all I care about. I mean, I know does can be handy during the rut, but I'm out there to see particular deer and not just to see groups or amounts of deer, if, if that kind of makes sense.
0: Without a doubt, and I think you and I are on the same page with that um It's just a common theme, you know whether it's in a cabin or uh, a difference in generation or whatever that may be, you'll have those conversations and disappointment of what you're seeing and uh I think my overall satisfaction is has been that, but uh I think it's just probably a generational difference
1: and the thing about it is like with a lot of your older hunters I mean they're great hunters, but today's age like you have to do more scouting there's a lot more there's a lot more off season work or you know before seasons stuff that you got to do to you know to get yourself in the right areas you there's hunters that they could sit on the same rock or log every year and see deer and even I know guys that killed bucks almost from the same spot almost every year and you just can't do that anymore you have to work at it but me, the work it's not even work, it's fun, and that's what I wanna do all year round anyway. so when you're out there year round um you you don't you don't really lack like the the fun or joy out of it because you feel you're more in the game than a lot of those guys are just out of it and relying on just past experiences, so you have to be a different hunter than what you know what a lot of hunters used to be back in time, but if you do put your time in now, you can definitely have just as much success now as probably what you had back then, and I don't care what anyone says, um, for sure there's a lot more bigger bucks in Pennsylvania
0: now than what there ever was. No doubt about it, and I think the fact that uh, you have 150 cameras out has definitely proved that, and while I don't have that volume, I Uh have definitely seen the exact same things going on. Well, Steve, uh, as with anything, uh, good things got to come to an end and I, uh, I don't want to <laughs> take any more of your time. I can't thank you enough for coming on and just chatting a little bit about it and put some, putting some food for thought into future scouting and future trail camera strategies.
1: Absolutely, man. I really appreciate you having me and hopefully we can, uh, we can get together for
0: another chat sometime there's no doubt about it there's a there's a number of diverse uh diverse topics that i I think everybody would love to pick your brain on including myself (laughs) sounds good thanks again for having me bud you have a great night thank you take care steve
1: you too bye-bye